Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my co-hosts today are David Begin, who lots of you know, but also Matt Brunk is with us today. So welcome, David and Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I'll tell you a little bit more about who Matt is. And, and David, I think I'll have people uh, have you share with people a little bit about you, because while you've been on a lot of episodes and David was my original co-host on this show, some people who might have just started listening might not know as much about you. So we'll do that here in a moment. But on this episode, David, Matt and myself, we're going to discuss the topic of culture in small business. That's something that gets talked about a lot. And it's one of these things is kind of what, what is that? How do you build it? So what are the benefits of maintaining a great culture in our small business? And how do we actually accomplish that? That's what we're going to chat about. If you want to receive more information about the Howwood business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue to support my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowabusiness.com. So first, let me, let me give you a little bit about Matt Brunk. Matt Brunk has over 18 years of operations and human resource management experience in various businesses, including the restaurant, service, transportation, and the car wash industry, which is how I came to meet him. He earned a master's of science and management degree with an emphasis on human resource performance from Colorado State University. He enjoys developing and managing teams and teaching others to do the same. Matt's from Oklahoma, but currently lives in Colorado Spring, where David Begin lives as well. And David, give us a, a brief intro as well of yourself and your background. And then let's just briefly chat about how we came to meet Matt. Yeah, thanks. Well, you and I have paralleled careers for, I was trying to count in my head, probably mm. 20 years or or so. We uh, Would know, have been 1990 or something like yeah, that. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. So you know, we were both worked together, both in the software industry, both uh, ended up quitting our jobs and starting small businesses. And uh, we had small businesses together. So a lot of varied background, both of you and I did sales training for a period of time and, and, uh, and other types of training. So that was part of our background. But uh, and then we, uh, we partnered in the car washes together and uh, yogurt shops, you've heard about our yogurt shops for a long time. And then um, we sold all of them. Uh, 19, uh, 2019, all the way to 2020. 2021. Yeah. Last yeah, year, 21. we sold the, the last yogurt shop. Exactly. Yeah. The, the yeah. washes we sold at the end of 2019, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And so then um, I was kind of dabbling in the car wash industry, worked for a few companies after selling our washes and then got a call from a OEM that manufactures car wash equipment and asked me to create this operational consulting company for new investors and existing car wash owners. So did that for about six months. I begged Matt to join <laughs> because I can't write it. I can't write two sentences that make sense. And uh, if you listen to the previous episode on deep work, Cal Newport, Matt is the poster child of deep work. Mm -hmm. He can do it all day long for some strange reason. And uh, thank goodness I've got him. He's been a great asset uh, on our team. And uh, we're starting to get some traction with, with car wash, uh, car wash customers. And we're having a lot of fun, I would think. 
And that, that consulting business, people can find out more about at carwashos.com, correct? Correct. And then uh, share briefly how we first came to meet Matt. Yeah, we, we hired Matt as our operations manager. So we put out an ad. He was in Oklahoma, wanted to come back to Colorado Springs, had the right kind of mix of, of skill sets that we were looking for. And we hired him. He kind of made he made it through the first three months of working with Dave and Henry, which is a major challenge. <laughs> and, and then he just sort of blossomed. He, he got what we were trying to get. And I really do credit Matt for a major turnaround at our car washes um, over the years. And, uh, and we did build a great culture. He, he understands it. I was watching the effects of what this culture was. Things were really, really working well. We had very, very low turnover. You know, our, our numbers were up like crazy. People were happy to work there. And then even after we sold our car washes and Matt and I've talked about this, you know, the effects of culture lasted for six to nine to 12 months after we sold. So I give Matt a ton of credit. You know, he got right into the car wash industry, got right into operations. He, he gets what we're talking about. Uh, he gets the vision and, and uh, I'm excited to have him on the car wash OS team. Yeah, no, he was, a, he was a great, at that point we had the three washes. And so he was overseeing all three of them. And again, I think one of his superpowers is that dealing with people at all levels, you know, with the car wash industry, car wash business, of course, we're mostly dealing with what you might label blue collar or hourly wage employees, where often what I have heard is, well, you can't build culture there because you have so much turnover and they don't really care, but that's simply not true. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to start with, to get us onto the topic of culture, you and Matt uh, wrote an article recently for carwash.com, carwash.com. And there was a quote here that I want to read to get us started on this topic. And it is, quote, as business leaders, most of us have come to terms with the fact that our company's culture profoundly impacts our business goals, successes, and failures. But how exactly do we define the culture within an organization? End quote. I think that's a perfect place to start. And, and I always like to define, you know, what the heck is culture? What do we mean by culture? And I've got several different definitions, but I thought maybe I start with you, David, and then we'll go to Matt as to at a high level, how do you define culture? Yeah, it's the norms and standards that are established by the group. And Matt and I've talked a lot about this. We, you know, people say, I don't have any culture in my car wash. And we go, no, 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 no. You've got culture. It's just not a culture that you've built or a culture you can identify, but every organization has a culture. And a lot of times the, the top people don't know what the culture is because they haven't spent any time investigating it. If it's a bad culture, it might just be under, under the surface and top management can't recognize it. But it's it's a set of norms, it's a set of standards by which the organization operates, I would say implicitly, you know, with without without looking at the playbook, without looking at the the uh, employment manual, it's how the operation really operates. What would you add to that, Matt? What what how do you would you summarize it? Well, I think David summarized it really well. I mean, it really is the norms and values, right? And it depending on who implements those norms and values, that's how you're going to get your culture. So you really have to, at a high level, um, decide who's going to implement those. And if, if you don't do it, say you're the owner and you don't do it, then the employees do it for you. And then you don't get to decide what they are, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. Yeah, no, two great, two great takeaways there right off the bat. One is, as I always say with these types of things, I think it applies also to trying to deliver great customer service. It starts at the top. So if, if I, as the owner, don't believe this, the value of developing a positive culture, then you know, forget about it. You know, I can put up the eagle posters and all of those things, the, the lipstick on the pig, as I always like to say, and it doesn't matter. So that's a huge point. The other point that both of you made is that that I think is such a huge takeaway is you have a culture, <laughs> whether you like it or not, you have a culture as a matter of whether it's a positive or, or a not very positive culture, but a culture exists in your environment, whether you like it or not. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, yeah. and I, I like, um, you know, what you were, what you had put in the, some of these show notes, uh, cultural norms to find what's encouraged, discouraged, accepted and rejected. That's totally it. So if, if you don't discourage and encourage certain behaviors, then you don't define the culture within the organization, right? You have to reject certain things and say, that's, we don't do that here, right? So that, that was one of the, the biggest things that I realized when I started working for you and David is um, how you defined how we should and shouldn't do things in the car wash, right? So um, if you can get your employees to mimic that, and say things like that, like, yeah, you, we don't do that here. Then it, the group kind of transforms into that, if that makes sense, right? Like, these are the things we want to do here, but we don't do that thing you just did. And we all as a group want, want you to know that. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I, you know, David, both you and David were great at that is this, this is how we behave here. And, and we'll talk about more how do we execute on that? Because it's it's more than just saying it, there needs to be a system in place that that communicates that. But yeah, I think that's that's critical. And I think it ties to, as you were saying that matter, ties to, I think at the highest level, the ownership level, you have to have uh, some kind of a, a standard, a high standard. You can argue that sometimes for us, it was an unrealistic standard of perfection, but some high level standard that we're working towards it that we want to put forth, right? And we want our employees to represent that. That's a key part of it as well, don't you think? Absolutely. And, you know, I think David always says this best. I, I get this from him, but, you know, if, if the high standard you set is 100%, then you set it that high so you can get 80%, right? So if you, you know, you may think it's too high of a standard, but then people get to the point where they're achieving 80% of it and you go, wow, that made a huge difference. Absolutely. So David, the question we've started to address already is who establishes these norms or values in a small business? And then as we're saying, it starts at the top. That's critical. Give me your thoughts as an owner, uh, maybe as to when you realized in your business ownership career, how important this was. I mean, you and I come from a corporate world, so we mm -hmm. understand culture in that environment, but it's different than a culture in a small business somewhat sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It was easier for us to be part of culture and to establish culture, I think, in our corporate lives, Henry, because we were around people that were highly motivated and people that were paid well and and wanted to do a great job. So it was a lot different. And it took me literally years and years and years to figure out how to get there with the car washes. But, you know, I, I got a question for Matt. When we hired you for the car washes, Matt, it was a pretty tough three to six months when you first came on, trying to understand Henry and I, trying to get what we wanted 
do you want to share kind of what that experience was and what, what your tipping point was for that? Well, you know, at the, at the same time, I was trying to learn what your standards were and how, how to run the car wash. I was kind of going through this like trial by fire event of, uh, how car washes are ran and all the equipment that's a part of them. So the people side of it, I kind of already understood, but it was really the equipment side of it and, and the customer side of it. And then really the standards of what you and Henry wanted. And, you know, I think that probably took three to six months, but there, you know, there were a couple of aha moments where it was, it was, you know, probably you and me sitting there hashing it out in your office and, uh, you know, us kind of just talking out, well, how do we want to do this? And how do we want to do that? And then thus kind of meeting, meeting somewhere and deciding this is how we go forward with this. Right. And, you know, it, it, it probably took about six months, but one, once we started working really well together, I think it, it kind of just took off from there. And I kind of said, okay, I think I know what these guys want their car wash to, to run like, right. And that's when we started taking incremental steps to make it work like that. And once we started doing that, it just kind of, it just got better and the culture changed and we got rid of people who didn't want to be there because they didn't want to be a part of that, the culture that we had decided that we wanted to implement. So in hiring you were high standards, did you work, you worked in an organization with high standards or did, was it kind of a shock to your system to work for Henry and I? I did, but I think to, to your point, probably in Henry's too, is that I worked with a lot of blue collar people, right? Like bottom level, you know, I would say low skill entry level positions. Um, you know, I worked in the transportation industry where I supervised truck drivers. So they're, they're kind of the exception to that. But outside of that, I worked with a lot of entry level uh, people and not, not really high levels of professionalism. And so, you know, it, it kind of was slightly, yeah, a, a shock. Right. So, um, but I learned a lot in that process and I think we developed a, a great culture uh, towards the end of it. Yeah, I want to explore I, this a little bit more, though, because there is you're touching on some of the key differences between a corporate environment where a culture exists and a small business. So a small business where the owner, in this case, namely us, can have to be part of it, but can also interfere with the process. Right. Because when we bring you in as an area manager, we need to give you the freedom to go manage but we cannot completely acquiesce the development of culture because as we just stated, it starts at the top. So there's a delicate balance there, isn't it? That has to happen to allow you enough freedom to go and lead these people, but also to be uh, as leaders, as the owners, we also have to exude and, and set those standards, right? So there's a balancing act that we're trying to play there. There is, there's a huge balancing act. And, you know, I think, one of the best things to do is is set the standard with your mid-level managers and then follow up on it and, and go and check on them and make sure they're doing it. But you know, I think I was I was reading some some Simon Sinek the other day and he said leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about taking care of those in your charge. Right. And that's kind of the the attitude that you're you need to have with your base level employees, right? So it's less about saying, hey, I'm the boss, do what I say, and more about 
how can I take care of you and develop you because you're in my charge? Like the base level employees, they just got there. Maybe they don't know all the best things to do. They don't know how to do their jobs, right? They may not have been developed in other jobs. And so how can you take them under your wing and say, I need you to do these things. And these, these are the, a part of our standards. And how can you um, dictate that to them while also looking back and saying the owner of the company, right? Or the executive leadership, they need certain things done. How can I make sure I do those things while taking these people under my wing and taking care of them? Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, we could talk about this, this uh, tangent forever. I want to start getting us on one of the things that you, well, the, the, the body of the article that you wrote for carwash.com um, is these five elements of great culture. We've been touching on some of them, but I'd like to start walking through them. Number one, which we have been talking about is set high standards or expectations for operational excellence. Here's a question I have for you related to that, Matt, to further explore this. What was one thing that David finally did or didn't do that allowed you to really, whatever that period of time was in those first three to six months, allow you to start building this culture when you were working for us at the car wash? So, so something that comes to mind immediately, especially when it comes to setting high standards for operational excellence, it was, you know, at the beginning, he was kind of holding my hand. So he would show up to the car washes and he would go, here's, here's all the issues that we're having, right? These are, these are all the ways that we're not meeting expectations or standards. And he would kind of take care of it, right? Like right in front of me, he would say, this is what you're going to do. And, and then you're going to do that. And it was because I was training still, but then, you know, a few months out of that, he would come up to the car wash with me and say, here's all the re things we need to fix. Here's where we're not meeting standards and expectations here. And then he would say, all right, I've, I've shown you wh what I think you need to do and given you my expectations. Now you deal with it and report back to me. Yeah. And he kind of just gave me the freedom to start taking care of it on my own because he, he gave me that trust that he, that he thought I knew what his standard was. And of course that's critical from not, from a perspective of not undermining your authority with the crew, because that's one of the things that can happen very often. And I don't want to get too far off on this tangent, but uh, people are looking for who, who's the real boss here. Who do I really listen to? So it was very important mm -hmm. for him to empower you and then let you be the one that, that communicated that or, or executed with the team. Yeah. Right. David, this this setting, you know, Matt touched on it, and you and I have talked about this a lot. You, you helped me a lot with this concept, you know, the 80% concept. A lot of it comes from, from Sullivan's teachings, but that really comes into play here on this setting of standards, because you and I, if we suffer from anything, the worst, it's that perfectionism, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought there would never be any mistakes at the car wash, and we would never damage a car, and we would never waste chemical. And there would never be these issues. And when there was, there was something wrong and I had to fix it. And I was driving myself insane trying to run the car washes with that 100% rule. And that's when I said, you know what, just expect 80%. Just, you know, you need to, you need to expect that not everything's going to go right all the time. If that's your expectation, it takes a lot of the stress and friction 
out of the way you run your business. And when I did that, that was transformational for me because I didn't get upset. I was, I was upset. Everything was a, like I, I've told many people, everything was a 10 on the Richter scale with me. It didn't matter <laughs> what it was, right? you know, and, and I didn't have enough energy to worry about the really important things because everything was important. Yeah. And I thought that's the way you had to run your business. And then finally, I just said, you know what, it's, it's not going to be perfect, but let's get it close. Let's have that 80% expectation. And I've told you both before, I, I created a budget for what I call mistakes or stupidity or whatever you want to call it. But I said, okay, I'm going to allocate so much money a year for stupid mistakes. And when I did that, it made me feel better when I had to write a check for extra chemical or for damage because I had kind of already mentally budgeted for it. Yeah, it's and, a cost of doing business, right? I mean, yeah. this, is, this is what happens. And, and so that, that made a great, great transformation. And then the other thing is we worked with a coach, Chris Plackey, who I, uh, I give a lot of credit for. And both Matt and I went through her program. And the whole idea of how do you understand employees, how do you manage them? And, and the whole simple thing is people are either unwilling or unable if they can't, if they're not doing something, there's only two answers. They're either unwilling or they're unable. And you always want to take the approach that they're unable at first. That's, that's your default approach with them. And you work with them and teach them and coach them and train them. And then if it keeps happening, then you kind of start moving them slowly into the unwilling category. Yeah. And that, that developed such clarity for me in terms of how do you manage people? Because that was my biggest challenge. And once we figured that out, I think when the light bulb came on, it just it made it so much easier for me. Agreed. All right. So that's number one of the five elements, set high standards or expectations for operational excellence. Number two is document the process. And of course, I'm all over this because as everybody knows, I'm a big systems person. Question I have for you, Matt, to, to address this topic is that you and David help a lot of businesses get started with developing their systems. So what are some thoughts on how I begin to develop these processes or systems in my business? So I have several thoughts on this, but, you know, I think there's, there's a book called The Business Playbook, and uh, it was written by the founder of Trainual, who's, who's one of our partners that we use as, as a learning management tool. And, you know, that's probably the best book to answer that particular question. But something that Chris says in there is find out who the best people are at the role you need to document and let them document their processes right? So if you have somebody that's fantastic cashier or fantastic shift manager, and, and you don't know exactly the process that needs to be documented, ask them to document it for you or follow them around and ask them questions all day and document it for them. But, but find someone who's really good at, at what you need to document and have them document or document it for them while you essentially watch them all day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that tip. That's a great takeaway. All right. Here's the other thing that happens a lot though. I'm sure you've seen it a lot. Oh, we've got, we've got manuals, we've got systems, we've got standard operating procedures, but nobody uses them. When, when you see that in an environment, Matt, what, what does that usually tell you? It tells me that management is not holding people accountable to the systems that we put in place. So you know, accountability is a huge thing. And this is another, you know, uh, plug to Chris Plackey here. So, you know, you've got to hold people accountable to the systems that you put in place. You've got to set up meetings, you've got to do follow-up. And, you know, one of the biggest things she taught us was 
that their behaviors are their responsibility and it's our responsibility to hold them accountable for their behaviors. So set up the standard, hold them accountable to it. If they don't meet it, then it's on them. It's your job to hold them accountable for that. So either A, they start doing it or B, they don't and B, you start the process of shipping them out. But a lot of times they're going to, they're going to want to do the right thing. People want to know what the expectations are. Right. So, um, I I think you just hold people accountable and follow up as much as you can. Yeah, I agree. This is Henry Lopez briefly pausing this episode to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon. All right, number three is train to the standards. And David, you know, you and I have really tried to implement this in all of our businesses. You know, that always comes to mind, the example I always give is the work that we did at Itopit, our Surf Serve Frozen Yogurt restaurant that we sold last year. That, that for people were always amazed that for just what we called the yogarista, right? Somebody who worked in the shop, the amount of training that they went through, and then they had to take a written test before they were certified. Often people would would kind of laugh at that, but I but I think it was an example of this of training to our standards, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And it was amazing over the years how we were able to maintain standards. And I don't know, I got all types of analogies here that I could use, but. It's like when you're when you're in a kayak and you're getting going at the beginning, it's really hard, mm-hmm. right? And then pretty soon you get up to speed and it doesn't take much effort, right? To, to get those oars in the water and go the same speed, you're just maintaining the speed. And that's when you know you've built that culture. And I think we saw that at Itopit, we saw it at the car washes, eventually when, when Matt came on board that at that point, it's a lot easier, but you just, you know, there's a lot of work that's put into place to get there. There's a lot of effort, a lot of work, and it does take time. I think most managers or owners kind of get frustrated and start and quit early too early because they don't realize that this is a, this is a long game that they need to play. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And Matt, you know, the other thing that comes up, you, you see this in the car wash industry, you see this in gosh, just about every industry now is, well, why should I spend this time training people when they're just going to leave soon anyway? I think people kind of go into that death spiral of attitude. But what, what do you say to that when people say that to you? I love that question, and I've got a great answer for that. So um, it, in the article we wrote about building a great car wash culture, we cited a, a Gallup study. And in that study, they, they pulled 2.2 million employees and 50% of them said that they don't know what the expectations of their job are. And I can promise you that that causes turnover because there are other studies out there that, that prove that people leave because they don't know what the expectations are. So if you communicate the expectations, 
and develop the training systems and the programs and the standards and communicate those to people, chances are they're going to stay around longer and it transcends them when they leave because you've got everything they did documented already, right? So if they were to leave, they don't take your institutional knowledge with them. You keep it and you use it to train the next person. So I would say that training to the standards and documenting those um, processes and standards actually solves that problem. I think it does too. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that I have found again and again in my businesses and in the businesses of my coaching clients that uh, well, the way I've put it is that I find that most people, the vast majority of people, employees, let's say, want to do a good job, but they want to know what the rules of the game are. How is it that I perform here? How will I be measured? And when you don't have that clarity, that transparency, that understanding, it creates confusion, it creates frustration, it creates misunderstanding. But when you do have it, when I'm clear with someone, here's what I'm expecting to do here. Here is the plan to get you up to speed, to load a car, let's say, for example, or ring somebody up at the register. Most people respond to that in a highly positive way. What, what are your thoughts, David? Yeah, I agree with that. I think good, good employees want to be challenged. Most employees want to be challenged. And when you don't create an infrastructure where they can be challenged, you know, and you challenged by what they're doing, what they're learning and the standards that you have, then that's where people, people tend to leave. But, uh, you know, Matt, Matt and I call the institutional knowledge problem, the Peyton Manning <laughs> problem. Um, Cause you know, if you, if you look at the Denver Broncos, when they won the Super Bowl, Peyton Manning retired. And then next year they were five and 11. Is that right, Matt? It was something like that. We just, you know, we always just, it's everything fell apart the moment he walked out the door. Right. You know, <laughs> no and doubt. So that's, that, that, that's a great example of institutional knowledge and culture and expectations left. Yeah. And it would be interesting because he, you know, Peyton Manning had unbelievable expectations. If you didn't show up with them, on morning practice at 530 in the morning, if you were a receiver, he wasn't throwing to you. During you the weren't going to get the ball. Yeah. You weren't going to get the ball. Yep. And so <laughs> he, he just set those types of standards, which I just absolutely loved. Yeah. And, love it, you know, and his standards made for a great team. The problem with that is when, when that superstar, that cult figure leaves, then what happens? Yeah. All right. Number four, which you touched on a little bit again, Matt, and I'll, I'll go to you first on this, but number four is managed to the standard. So if you would share with me, Matt, a couple more examples of how you have done this and how you train others to, as you say, manage to the standards. So I think early on in my career, I can't remember what manager told me this, but it was, if you don't address it, you bless it. Right. And so when you let an employee walk in, clock in, go to the back, mess around, get out, their shirts untucked they have the wrong shoes on and you just let it slide because you want to go home. That's not managing to the standards. You need to address things as they happen um, and don't let things slip. Right. Like, you know what the standard is Manage to it. It's going to help you in the long run. So that's one example. Address things right away. Um, you know, another example is, is holding people accountable again, holding people accountable and following up. Right. And it's not fun always. Right. Um, but if you do it, the culture will come because people know 
that they're not going to get away with things and they know they're going to be held accountable. Right. And they know, you know, Timmy did this yesterday and Matt held him accountable. So I'm not going to do what Timmy did yesterday because I know that that's, you know, not going to be allowed. The analogy that comes to me here is of raising a child, right? Um, Mm. We, as a parent, it's hard work to teach your kids how to behave and to, and it's repetitive and you always have to tell them again to close your mouth while you're chewing, right? It's not fun. It's not being their friend. It's being their parent. And I don't mean to, to make that association in that regard, but in other words, like you said, it's not fun, but continuing with that analogy, when I do it, it's a lot easier later right? A Mm -hmm. culture develops in our family that this is just not the way we behave. Similarly, in a place of work, while it might seem the easier path to not enforce that dress code or let that slide, what it degrades into is an environment that no one is going to enjoy. And then recovering from that, I have found is even harder versus if you realize that, yeah, we want to have a positive environment, but, but you're there to lead, not to be everybody's buddy necessarily, I think you end up then with that culture that you want that makes it an environment that everybody wants to be a part of. Yeah, that's exactly right. Just like, you know, we talked about earlier, it's, it's discouraging and encouraging things, right. And, and getting the group to group reject things that happen. Right. So, so when Timmy does something, maybe sometimes I don't always have to, to get involved because another employee comes out of left field and goes, Hey, you, you better correct that because we, we don't do that here. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Matt, Matt keeps using Timmy as an example here. Recently. Yeah. Who's Timmy? I don't, I don't, I don't know what this Timmy is. We need to find out random, who Timmy it's is. It's a random, <laughs> random name I came up with. Oh. <laughs> there must've been several bad Timmies in his career. <laughs> I've well, had a couple yeah. of Timmies I had problems with. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other part of that is I think people, when they come into an organization, I think our employees did this, they would test the culture. They, Absolutely. they know that you've got this culture laid out on paper. And what they're going to do is they're going to test it because they want to know what the real culture is. Even though we say you need to be there 10 minutes early before your shift, even though we've got that written down, even though we train to it, they want to know if that's real. And there are a lot of people are going to come in and test that to see if it's real. And, and it's, and I think it's, it's, I think it's human nature. I don't want to say it's like little kids, but it is human nature where people want to say, what's the real culture in the organization? And the further, further apart your, your perceived culture is from your actual culture creates, creates a lot of problems. Agreed. Agreed. And there's so many different ways that you can undermine that. Going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, if, if Matt's trying to institute a culture and a standard, and then I come in as the owner and undermine that, either because I have a favorite or I've brought in my son and he gets away with whatever, or I make exceptions behind his back, then I'm completely destroying that ability for him to manage to the standard, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's the real standard. That's not what- Exactly. And people know to look, We I think you're right, that instinctively we look for what are the real rules here? Right, right. Okay, number five of the elements of great culture is observe, identify, and adjust. So what do we mean by that, Matt? So once you decide what an expectation or a process is, you really need to see if it works well, right? Otherwise, it might change, you know, behind your back, right? People go, oh, well, he wants to do it this way, but this other way is way easier and the customers seem to like it more, so we're going to do that. So what you really need to do is observe 
those processes in practice, identify points that, you know, maybe roadblocks that cause issues and adjust them. And a great way to do that is just talk to your employees and ask them, hey, we we rolled out this new thing. This is how we want it done. How do you think that's going? Is there anything we need to adjust or do you think it's working well? And a lot of times they'll tell you exactly what they think of it because you asked and they're the ones doing the job. So they, they know how it should be done for the most part, if we're talking about a good employee. So just listening to them and observing is, is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah. So it was a good qualifier there at the end, because I want to ask you a follow-up question on, on listening to the right people. But mm. how do you deal with Matt that often people are opposed to change and uh, in the initial feedback, oh, no, no, I don't like it because that's not the way we've always did it or whatever. So how do you how do you balance that feedback then when you ask for that feedback and people are maybe reacting to the change? Well, sometimes it's it's you have to get buy in whenever you you change something. So, you know, if if they say, well, I don't like this change or that's not the way we've always done it, then say something like, well, tell me how you would do it right? And if they tell you a way that's amazing and you want to try it, you just got, you know, a free feedback and it's like, wow, this is going to be a great thing. Or if you can poke holes all in it and you you talk to them, you talk them through it and you start poking, well, what about when this happens? What about when that happens? And you see the wheels start moving in their heads. They're like, oh, you're right. Maybe this is the best way to do it. And you kind of come together, mm -hmm. right? And just have that conversation. But, you know, so, so sometimes, you have to identify people that aren't going to progress your business or or make it successful. And those people are probably not people you want to get high levels of feedback from and change it the way they want it to be. Right, right. Yeah, no, great point. I think also that, you know, the approach I've taken is to to tell sometimes the people who are struggling with the change, just, just trust me here, give it some time, and then let's mm -hmm. talk about it again, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Follow up with them and say, how's it going? We changed this. How do you like that? And, you know, get their feedback on it. And sometimes people just want to be heard. Good point. Good point. You mentioned also, Matt, and I want to get David's thoughts on this, the, the group rejection or the group effect. Now, we have seen this at play. It always has amazed me. But I think to the question of when, when do I know if I have a good culture? I think that's one of the best ways to measure it. When when you have a good culture and you bring someone in who ends up not being a good fit, despite all of your efforts to screen and qualify, when the group, at least the key members rise and say, this person's not a fit for these reasons, you know, you've got something right, David. Yeah. I think that's, that's the pinnacle. And when I heard that uh, at the car wash or even the yogurt shop, I just felt like, man, this is, this is terrific. I we know. finally kind of arrived at that point where the group is self-correcting, right? It's Matt, again, Matt, Matt was kayaking. He got his kayak going at a good speed. Didn't take much effort, but part of that place where it doesn't take much effort is the group is doing some of the heavy lifting to select the right candidates that we're hiring. They're still selecting, right? That's even though Matt might've hired them, the group is still trying to decide if they're a good fit. And when the group is helping you decide that they're not a group fit for the, for the right reasons, it's just, it's, it's glorious. Yeah. What other ways have you observed, Matt, um, things that you have observed either in places where you manage or as you're working with clients that tells you there's a strong culture here? Um, yeah. 
people holding each other accountable, right? Uh, an employee who's who's been around for a month walking out to the car wash tunnel and telling another employee who's been there for three months that they uh, saw something that they did wrong and how they should adjust it and them having a good conversation about it and going, oh yeah, you're right. And coming to like a cohesive, like this is what we're going to do about that. And they, they like self-correct each other. And it's like, that's a great example of teamwork, right? They both care and they both want to do the right thing. And they both talked it out and they didn't even have to go to a manager and, and complain or do anything like that. Um, but also, you know, turnover goes down. Yep. Revenue goes up. Employees seem uh, happier. Customers seem happier, right? You're getting all these customer compliments. Uh, you're, you're seeing better reviews online. Like you start seeing these little things and you go, wow, or, you know, is this because of the culture? And, you know, a lot of times I think it is. I agree. I agree. I think that's one of the great ways to measure if you're in any kind of a business where you're delivering some type of a service, where you're interacting with clients, customers, patients, whatever it might be, if your culture is strong, you will be delivering consistently remarkable customer service. If it's not, you will not be able to. It's as simple as that. It'll be sporadic at best. So that is something to look at that tells you. And if, if we go in as, a, as a, uh, a user of a particular business, as a customer, we know that, we see that. And we can immediately tell, oh, it's because it seems like everybody here wants to be here to some degree. I mean, it's a job, right? But 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 there's that feeling that you get when you as a as a customer go somewhere where the culture is strong. The other thing is another example that I've seen is, and you touched on it, I think, Matt, is that you'll see that when we bring on a new person, the rest of the team helps that person. In other words, they don't relish letting them fail, they'll step in before they make a mistake if possible. I've seen that in strong cultures as well. That's a great example. I love that example. So yeah, it's, you know, they're, they're not looking for that person to fail so they can laugh about it. Exactly. Them, yeah. You know, amongst themselves and in, in their little, you know, sub click right in the background, it's like, no, they want everybody to succeed and, and people are happy being there. And if, if, if you have a good attitude, the employees want to help you if you've got a good culture. All right. Question for you, Matt. So we've walked through the five elements. Let me just summarize them right quick again. The five elements of a great culture, as you guys put forth in this article in carwash.com. Number one is set high standards or expectations for operational excellence. Two is document the processes. Three is train to the standards. Four is manage to the standards. And it was just talked about five is observe, identify, and adjust. So you're younger than David and I. Um, if the cameras was on, you wouldn't be able to tell much of a difference, but there is a difference. Um, younger people, you know, for us older guys, we, we often struggle with how do we lead millennials and the other younger generations? It seems like everything that we have learned and, and are trying to implement is that the, the beyond pay, there are other factors that younger employees care about. Is culture important in that regard and how, or how important is it to younger employees, generally speaking? Yeah, I think, I think it's huge. Um, you know, uh, I'm a millennial, but I've had a ton of millennial people work for me and Gen, Gen Z people work for me. And, um, and I've, I've, I've done research, read studies and, I think we've all come to the consensus that they they love a good culture. They like reporting to work. They want to have purpose, 
right? So sometimes it's not just about the pay, it's about are they doing something they feel good about? And when they show up and they see smiles on employees' faces and smiles on customers' faces, they feel like they're doing something of purpose and they feel like they're being of service, right? And, and a great way to support that with the younger generation is, is you know, what we call touch points, right? Or one-on-ones where you, you, you pull employees aside their, their first um, week or two or, or every month if you're a, a store manager and you just say, how are you doing? How's the family? Is, it, is there anything that you don't know that I can show you how to do that you need to know how to do for your job? And, you know, how's your schedule? Things like this, you're checking up on them and then they feel like you're invested in them. People want to work for someone they feel like is invested in them, right? Yeah. Especially younger people. And that's why when you go back to this list that we've walked through, especially the, the systems, the training, those things are very important. It results in a strong culture, but that's what people are looking for. Again, we're generalizing, but by and large, David and I's generation, we just we just got the work done, right? That's the way we were measured. But now you guys are smarter about what you're looking to get and expect from a work environment. And that's, I think, where also culture comes into play. And that's why most organizations with a stronger culture have much better retention. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Here's another list of things that I'm going to rattle off. And then I'd like each of you to kind of speak to one or two of them that, that catches your attention here. These are other things that I think are important to developing a strong culture, a clear vision and a mission. So, so everybody understanding what it is that we're about, what is our why collectively, why are we doing this? Integrity. So that means integrity from the ownership and management as it relates to how we relate to our employees. Transparency as much as possible. You know, every organization is different, but transparency, especially as it relates to how someone is compensated and measured. Trust. We develop a a level of trust over time. And then this one you touched on just now, Matt, community support. How are we as a business, as an organization, supporting the community. That's of particular importance, I think, to younger employees. I'm generalizing, but as you articulated, that's usually the case. Uh, Related to that is team activity. So people get to know each other and we get to know each other together more. That's also critical to developing culture. Of course, taking care of your employees, but genuinely taking care of your employees genuinely caring about them. And I think that's another thing that you brought, not that David and I didn't care about our employees, but you took it to another level as far as making them feel that. And and in culture, this is something that I equate to continue with analogies to spinning plates, but in a good way, it requires consistent attention and nurturing. I don't think it's something that just exists and then it's, you're good to go because it's such a fickle thing. It's such a, a thing that can very quickly be eroded, either because we let start to let something slide or we bring in the wrong person and we let them stay too long or you know we bring in a different manager with a different perspective. It requires attention and nurturing. Any of those, I'll start with you, Matt, any of those that, that you have some further thoughts on? Yeah, I think the trust component, and that kind of goes into integrity and transparency. Like, it employees want you to be trustworthy if they're working for you. They want they want to have a sense of trust that you're going to take care of them. So, you know, if say their paycheck is wrong, they want to trust that you're going to fix it for them right away, right? So, 
and then they want you to have integrity in what you do and it that will that will kind of give them the trust in you that you're going to take care of them so and and that's a lot of team building stuff right like if 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 we do team activities and we you know say we have a, a cookout or we go bowling or something like that as a, a team activity that's like a team building thing and and a lot of that is where you build trust and they see how you are outside of work how you conduct yourself and that kind of flows through the business and you know i think one of the things that's made me successful is that i think people can trust me and i think people think i'm approachable right so they can walk right up to me and say something and know that they're not going they can trust that they're not going to get a a negative reaction right away that i i'm going to walk them through it right i'm going to say okay well let's let's diagnose this issue and see if we can get to the root of it so i think trust and integrity are huge yeah and i think to that point where i see some people make a mistake whether it's owner or managers is they interpret that to mean that i always have to say yes I think that people actually trust you when sometimes you say, no, no, we cannot do that. Here's why. That's absolutely right. And that's a part of managing to the standard, right? So they come up and they say, we need to do X. And you say, X is against company policy. We're not going to do it. (laughs) Right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Or here's why that's the wrong thing to do also, even beyond it might be company policy. Here's why that doesn't work for us. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think that that then builds trust because they know that when they come to you, they're going to get a straight answer, not some kind of BS, or you're not telling them something that's really not going to be true. That really erodes trust. It does. Yeah. David, what are your thoughts? What, what comes to mind as I was going through that list? Yeah, as Matt was talking, I really thought the integrity and trust is critical. I mean, for somebody to be able to come up to Matt and feel comfortable to share their thoughts, knowing it's a safe environment, that's, that's a big part of that element. And people aren't going to want to make change. People are not going to want to make things better. People are not going to want to speak up if people get put in a position where they feel like they can't trust what Matt's mm-hmm. going to do or what a manager is going to do. So, you know, you got to really work on that. You got to set it. You got to be intentional about that. You got to be intentional how you're going to react to what employees are saying. But, but I think those two, two elements are the important ones. I think it, the other side of this whole trust and integrity component is the integrity of how we behave as a business. We say that we care about customer service, but do we really behave that way at the end of the day? And that's something that people read through very quickly as to whether this is, again, just a poster or do we really care about these things? Do we really care about taking care of our employees or do we just say that? And people figure that out. And I think that leads to that trust and integrity in this relationship that we have with our team members that leads to this culture. Yeah, we we did 360 reviews or the employees were able to review the company once a quarter. I think if you remember that, Henry, we did yep. it for maybe two yep. or three years. Absolutely. Yep. I was always scared to death to do it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to know what the employees thought of me, but it gave them a ability to, to speak anonymously about what they thought of the business and how it was going. And I was pleasantly surprised at some of the, some of the comments. I realized they didn't all hate me. And I was, you know, I I used it as a kind of a way to communicate to just generally the employees, Hey, this looks like it's a problem. We need to try to fix it. And, And that's, if, if you have trouble with your culture, if you have trouble communicating with your employees, it might make sense to think about doing those anonymous 
quarterly reviews that lots of companies do. Yeah, as painful as it might be. And again, if if you're not going to, if all you're thinking you're going to get is complaints and you're not going to take it into any of it too hard, then, then don't, right? And just accept that you're not going to be able to have a great culture if that's not what's important to you. Right. Um, the other thing that, that comes to mind that's such a great example of, do you have a strong culture? And you've experienced it as well as you have, Matt is when people leave you and then either tell you, gosh, <laughs> I appreciate now what it was like to work for you, the benefits of it, or they want to come back, right? I think that's always another great indicator that you've got great culture. That's absolutely a great indi indicator of, of good culture and, and, and that you're doing the right things as, as a manager or a leader, right? Like they want to um, come work for you when you go to other companies. They're like, oh, wow, I I want to, you know, is you have any job openings over there or things like that, right? Like it really sets, sets, sets a standard for the way you should look at culture, right? It, it, it's, it's a great, like you said, a great indicator. Yeah, agreed. All right. There's another episode that, that I've done, uh, episode 281 with a gentleman by the name of Ken Bader. He and I discussed culture pretty much exclusively on that episode. So that's another episode you can go back to and listen to on the topic of culture, episode 281. And then book recommendations, Matt mentioned the business playbook. So that's a book that specifically speaks to culture. Another one that I've read that really helped me a lot with understanding culture was a book or a book entitled Delivering Happiness, A Path to Profits, Passion, and Purpose. And that was written by the late uh, Tony Hesch, who was the, the founder, actually, he took over after it was started of Zappos, the shoe and apparel company that he sold to Amazon. And he had some really uh, unique, at, at the time, certainly approaches to how he took care of employees and built an incredible culture there. So those are two books, and I'll have those both on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. So we'll wrap it up here, guys. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of summarize here in a moment, but let's start with you, Matt. What, what's one thing that you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had about building a great culture at our small business? I, th I think it's probably the most important thing is, is managing to the standards. I think it is addressing things as they come up. So like, like you had, talked about earlier, you know, you can have a system, you built all these processes out, but no one's using them. You know, maybe they got trained on them their first couple of weeks or their first month, but six months later, they're not doing it that way. And they're not, they're not using the system. So manage to it, address it. Don't let people slide through. Um, don't let people get away with things and follow up with people on a regular basis. David, final thoughts. Yeah, I think what Matt said as far as staying close to your employees and be consistent. It doesn't take a lot of effort. It takes a little bit of effort over a long period of time and you'll start seeing results, but don't give up on it uh, and, and keep, keep pushing, keep, keep at it. It will get better if you're intentional about developing culture. Yeah, great points. I, you know, I think for me, the, the, the key takeaways include all of those and the fact that Understand that you have a culture, whether you like to admit it or not. It might be not a good culture. It might be a great culture, but there's a culture there. 
what happens and what we've seen over and over again in our businesses and my clients' businesses and, and our combined experiences here is that culture matters. It does really impact our ability to serve our customers, clients, patients, and to operate a successful small business long-term, a business that you enjoy for the most part being part of, because I think that's one of the other side, huge side benefits of having a great culture is it's a place that you want to show up at. When you have a business that has a bad culture, you get to a point as an owner where you hate showing up there for all kinds of different reasons. So that's, that's how I summarize it as well. Any other thoughts before I close the episode? Well, you take it, David. Final uh-huh. thoughts. No, no, I, this is a great discussion. <laughs> it's, it's something I think, you know, the thing about culture a lot of times, it's not, it's just the result of a lot of things. You know, people want to blow in there and say, I want a great culture. And they read a book on culture, but culture is a result of lots of, lots and lots and lots of small things. And so keep that in mind as you're thinking about what your culture is. And as an owner, understand your culture. If you don't know what it is, go find out because you've got one. And it's making a big, big material impact on your business. Agreed. Matt, thanks for joining us on this episode. Absolutely. I appreciate you have you being with us. Thank and you. David. And thanks for all the nice things you and David said uh, at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast. I forgot to thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. They're, they're well-earned and, and, and uh, honest feedback. David, and uh, thank you for being with me again on this episode. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We wish all of you the best as you start and grow your successful and profitable small business. This is Henry Lopez, my co-host today. Again, we're David Begin and Matt Brunk. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The How of Business. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.